This is Hashtag History, episode 125. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And welcome to the middle of season 13. We're already at the middle of the season. That seems weird. It does seem weird. Uh, I I find this mid-season moment, this intermission, Uh if you will, to be the perfect moment to insert a musical break. Oh, good. Yeah. So, in fact, I was thinking for this week's episode, we just turn it into a concert session and listen to music the whole time. works for me it might be boring for the listener but i would enjoy it i I mean yeah what kind of music uh ever heard of sam cook oh perfect segue (laughs) do you like that thank you thank you for helping set it up because to be honest my next little point was kind of disjointed so thank you for that (laughs) this week we are discussing sam cook whom i love 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 Mm-hmm. love yeah. Sam Cooke. Do you l- like him, though? Uh, he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's all right. Whenever I'm asked what my favorite genre of music is, I always say it's whatever genre Frank Sinatra is. Because yeah. I love, I mean, we talked about this in the Frank Sinatra episode. I love Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Dean Martin, that. Bean Crosby, Sam Cooke, whatever that is. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Michael Buble, the more modern. Right. Version of it. Of yeah. It. yeah. Um, Leon Bridges. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love. I love this kind of music. Yeah. And so learning that one of my favorite artists from this genre of music, Sam Cooke, was also a huge advocate of the civil rights movement and that he died a truly tragic and incredibly mysterious death at only 33 years old just has me even more fascinated with the artist behind the art. I didn't know about his, I don't know about his death. So it's buckle up. It's just crazy. Yeah. And, and one that, there are a lot of conspiracies that came out of it. Ooh, yeah. okay. I'm excited. I mean, obviously, I'm not <laughs> excited. That sounds bad. I am excited uh, to, to talk about, about this morbid, horrible yeah. thing. Yeah, me too. Okay. So <laughs> I say we just dive right into it after yeah. we dive into this drink. Love it. Let's go. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. All right. You know what time it is. It's time to thank Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's our re- a regular segment for the right. podcast. Thank right. you, Alicia. Yeah, so this is number three of the five cocktails that she sponsored this season. So huge shout out to Alicia Gutierrez for mine. Thank you. You're, you're just too, too kind. Too kind. Thank you so much. So today's cocktail was once again easier to find. Good. I feel like I just had to complain. Yeah. You know how you oh. just you complain about something and then it suddenly gets fixed. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm a huge proponent of complaining. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so I found the Sam Cook cocktail on Perfect. thirstymag.com. In this article they said, quote, downtown LA's nineteen fifties themed underground cocktail lounge, The Birds and Bees, mm. and bar manager Jay. LaRoe, uh, know that rum is a liquor made for beating the summertime heat and have mastered a selection of cocktails to help any cocktail connoisseur cool down. Oh, I love that. The Sam Cooke is a drink inspired by the legendary King of Soul, made with brown butter rum, honey, lime, grapefruit, allspice, and Fernet float. This sweet and sultry cocktail will take you back to the 1960s. <gasps> 
All of that sounded so good until you say grapefruit. I know. <laughs> Other than the grapefruit part, I am so excited about this. Yeah. And we've talked about how we're not the hugest fans of grapefruit. Right. Like, I'll drink it, but it's not my favorite. And mostly just, yeah, exactly. It's not one of my favorites. And also mixed with all these other incredibly yummy, delicious ingredients. Just that brings it down. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Luckily, very small amount of grapefruit. Okay. Yeah. So I couldn't find an exact recipe. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of took the quote above and uh, figured it out. I so love that. Y- <laughs> you could do the same. Or no, we'll actually post the actual. What we did. Yeah. What we did. But just know that it's like rum and butter rum mix mm-hmm. and honey and lime juice and grapefruit. And then a float of Frenet Branca on top. Love it. Yeah. And I was able to do almost the whole thing because I do have a ritual or alternative to yeah. rum. The butter rum mix that you made doesn't include any yeah, uh, it, alcohol or yeah. anything. And it's just a mixture of butter and sugar, brown sugar and and like all those spices. spices exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just didn't do the Fernet Branca on top. Yeah. And we'll also include the recipe that I used for the buttered rum mix. Definitely. Um, If you ever want to make your own. I do believe that they also just sell like sell it in stores especially around the holidays okay but it was really easy to make and i suggest um like eighthing the recipe like <laughs> i did because it makes a lot <laughs> it, it looked and smelled so good you were talking about even just putting it on your oatmeal yeah later there's because, some leftovers oh, yeah it looks so good okay uh-huh. so let's do this thing okay cheers i like it the shot on top is weird i don't dislike it it's kind of licorice the fernet branca oh. has a kind of licorice flavor to it I think mine tastes pretty good and tastes similar to something we've had in the past where we, we had something very similar to this in the past where it was something that we were talking about. It doesn't feel like you should have a citrus in it. I think we added lime to some kind of really what we thought was like a fall drink. Yes. Yeah. It was something you did. It was one of your cocktails. Was it? That you did. I, I'm pretty sure. Okay. This reminds me of it. And I remember being surprised by how much I liked it because yeah. it felt refreshing at the same time that it was like a fall spicy yeah. drink. Yeah. And it's so funny because this is definitely like a tiki drink that you're supposed to drink during the summer but oh. it kind of tastes folly to me it does yeah I wouldn't have- and it's the it's the buttered rum it's literally like it's got cinnamon and nutmeg yeah. and brown sugar all those fall flavors yeah i'm going with the neat <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that once i mix the the float on top mm-hmm. i'll like it a little better so assuming that's true <laughs> i'll a, also give it an eight a neat a neat okay great As you all know, citing our sources is really important to us. We always list all of the sources that we use to put together each episode on our website under the citations tab. But for one source in particular that I used to put together this episode, I wanted to verbally mention it up top because it was so, so good. Really? So good. Was it a documentary? Yes. Yes. That you have to watch. I I highly recommend it to anyone. Music documentary, music history documentaries are my like happy place. Then you will love this one mm. it's on netflix right now it's called remastered the two killings of sam cook i've never heard of it oh it came out a while ago because i remember watching it just for entertainment like maybe a year or so ago just because i love sam cook um but then i watched it again in preparation for this episode and it reminded me of how good it is not only because it does a great job of speaking to who he was as a person and the huge impact that he had on music and civil rights. But it also really dives into the truth behind the fact that Sam Cooke was killed not once but twice. Once when his physical body was taken from the earth and another time when what was told about the circumstances of his death threatened to soil his reputation and his ultimate legacy. Wow. 
Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> if you looked up to the show title, you will see the way that Sam Cook's name was spelled. There's an E at the end of Cook. This was a flair that he added into his name later in life during his singing career. But originally, he was born as Samuel Cook, no E mm. at the end, mm-hmm. on January 22nd, 1931 in Clarksdale, Mississippi. He was one of eight kids born into a fairly religious household, his father being a Baptist minister. This is a black family in Mississippi in the 1930s in the midst of the Great Depression, which we know hit black Americans harder than any other because they were the first to be unemployed. This is also during one of the heights of the Ku Klux Klan when segregation was still very much a thing and slavery was not a distant memory. Mississippi was not the place to be. And so when Cook was only about two years old, he and his family moved to Chicago. They lived in a particular neighborhood of Chicago called Bronzeville, which if you Google Bronzeville today, the first Google search that popped up for me, it was from ChooseChicago.com, which boasts Bronzeville as, quote, a center for African-American life and culture in Chicago. Historically known as the city's black metropolis, Bronzeville has a strong sense of pride in its influential history and cultural scene, unquote. And that history was really created during this time period that the Cook family was living there. During the time of the Great Migration, thousands of Black Americans moved to Bronzeville and created there something similar to what you might see in Harlem, New York City. Mm-hmm. It became an area heavily populated with hundreds of booming Black-owned businesses, including dozens and dozens of churches, one of which was founded by Cook's father. Hmm. Here in Chicago, Cook attended the same high school that Nat King Cole had attended only a few years before him, which I had to add that because I thought that was pretty cool. Really cool. It's that's like, really that's like cool. how Cameron Diaz and Snoop Dogg went to the same <laughs> high school. I forget about that, but that's right. <laughs> so weird. So time, what is time? What, yeah. is, what is location? What is time? Yeah. He was known in high school to be a straight A student and was even voted most likely to succeed. Oh, Like many musical artists at the time, particularly those brought up in a religious household, Cook began his singing career by singing gospel music. Also very similar to Ray Charles. Yeah. I was thinking of Elvis. Oh, yeah. 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 I still haven't seen Elvis, by the way. I've watched it like three times. No. I'll watch it with you. Okay. I I love it. It's on our Plex. I love it. I just need to watch it. I'll watch it with you because I really love that movie. Okay. Uh, He began with a small little band of his siblings known as the Singing Children Group before becoming the lead singer of the Highway QCs as a teen. At 19, he would join the Soul Stirrers and would tour with them as their lead singer for about six years. In the Netflix documentary that I mentioned earlier, you hear from members of his band and other Black musical artists at the time speaking of the horrible conditions that they were forced to endure as they toured their music through southern states. There were many hotels and restaurants that wouldn't serve them. One story came from music producer Quincy Jones, who told about having to sleep in a mortuary once with six dead bodies in caskets beside them because that was the only place they were allowed to sleep for the night. What the f***? That isn't that like, like I would that broke your brain that broke my brain and my heart yeah they like slept they're, in a mortuary ch- children essentially and they're there to give you entertainment, entertainment. and, and a, you're going to you're going to get entertained by them because I'm sure they were great yep no they were but amazing. they can't stay in your hotel yes and they cannot stay in your and their church there's gonna be a lot <sighs> I'm about to more be, I'm gonna. There are a lot more experiences like that we're, that we're going to talk about. And you're going to really, make me really angry. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> and it, it, it does, it breaks your heart, but it also breaks your brain. The 
logic of like, you're coming here and we're paying to see you, but we don't want you in our hotels and our restaurants and you're not allowed to work like walk on certain sidewalks but I will come and listen to you sing because you're an amazing artist and I'll dance to your music. There's clearly a level of respect on some, some level Is of respect. Is it respect or it's just entertainment? It's just you, I like, I'm using I feel you. good when you sing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about me. Yes. It's selfish. <sighs> Cook began to have a heart to branch out and sing secular music. Cook was really moved by the inequality and injustice that he saw as he toured the country and was vocal about wanting to make a difference in the world. This is just me speculating, but I wonder if perhaps part of why he wanted to sing more secular mainstream music was because he knew it was a way for him to reach a wider audience. Yeah. Cook was really conflicted about switching to secular music. And I think that's perfectly understandable from not only a moral perspective, but also a practical perspective. Yeah. Morally, you know, especially when you grew up very religiously, there's the fear that you're doing something wrong. You're becoming like a devil worshiper yeah. if you sing anything but gospel music. But also, practically speaking, Cook expressed his concern that if he left the Soul Stirs to try his hand at secular music and it didn't work out, he wouldn't be allowed to return. Oh. I really like this quote from his dad about this decision. Initially, his dad, you know, his dad is a minister um, and he was pretty hesitant at the idea of his son singing secular music initially. Yeah. But eventually he said, quote, it isn't what you sing that is so important, but rather the fact that God gave you a good voice to use. He must want you to make people happy by singing. So go ahead and do so. Unquote. Yeah. I also really like this quote from Sam Cooke when he was asked later by an interviewer what made him go from singing gospel music to secular music. Cook said, quote, my economic situation, unquote. Yeah, I need money. Yeah, yeah. And and he speaks to that. He was like, when I was singing gospel music, I had to have part-time jobs and stuff. And then when I switched to more mainstream, I mean, you'll see how much he blows up and how successful he was. Yeah. In June of 1957, he signed with Keen Records and put out a song he wrote and recorded called You Send Me. Send me. <laughs> are we going to be doing that a lot? Yeah. People are going to hate us. So much. <laughs> Which actually, you would appreciate this. I didn't put this in here, but I think that you would appreciate this being a singer is something that it like a signature of his that he became known for was he was trying to sing like other musical artists at the time and hit these really high notes and he he couldn't really reach them. Yeah. And so he would reach them and then falter down into so like a scale the, the run he, he's it became at least a signature thing for Ooh, him girl you Isn't, just like spoke to me i know That's, Isn't that like so cool and yeah. so and even like he put out some music early on when he was still testing the waters of like, like the you that that's his signature. Yeah. When he was testing the waters to see about the secular music thing, he wasn't sure. Like, there's this one song that's so great that it's called um, Lovable. You probably know that one. It, how does it, go? it goes like, uh, you're so lovable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was originally a gospel song saying, like, he's so wonderful. Oh, Talking yeah, about yeah. God. Anyway, so he puts out a song called Lovable. He put it under a different name because he wasn't sure how, how like, people would react yeah. and how it would go. And immediately people were like, that's Sam Cooke singing that song because he had these signature runs or scales or they're called runs. Runs. Yeah. If you're if you're talking like uh, one word that like changes notes, that's, yes. a, that's a run. Okay. Yeah. So it, that was like so signature to him mm-hmm. that 
immediately people knew like you can't put out music under any name but your own everyone knows who you are you know as much as i love sam cook's music and stuff i didn't i never knew that like he's the reason and it's because he felt he couldn't yes. do something but now i struggle to do runs <laughs> <laughs> I know. now it's a thing that yeah. like to be a good singer you have to be able to do runs yeah that's crazy. but it was him faltering on a high note and he created this thing yeah, that so now beautiful. I strive for. Cool. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> when he put out the song You Send Me, this song would become a number one hit on both Billboard's Rhythm and Blues Records and Hot 100. In 2010, Rolling Stone magazine ranked it as the number 115 of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty incredible to achieve that level of success, period, in your lifetime. But it's even more incredible that Sam Cooke achieved that with his very first secular single. This song helped to transcend him into the mainstream for both black and white audiences. Between the years of 1957 and 1964, Cooke would have roughly 30 U.S. top 40 hits. He was amazing. It's like, what, five, five-ish years, right? Yeah, because, I mean, he had, a, unfortunately... As we'll get to, you know, he had an early unfortunate death. Yeah. And so he had a very short singing career. So the fact that we're still singing his songs, the fact that we still recognize his voice, the fact that he changed music, he changed music (sighs) when he had such a short singing career is just, I mean, it speaks to his talent and it speaks, I think, to his personality and just like what an amazing artist he was. Yeah. To take a quick detour from his professional life, Cook would marry a woman named Dolores Elizabeth Milligan in 1953. They would divorce in 1958, and she would die in a car accident the following year, for which he paid all of her funeral expenses. Oh. He would remarry in 1958, the same year as his divorce from Milligan, to a woman that he had known since childhood named Barbara Campbell, with whom he would have three children. Tragically, his son Vincent, when he was only 18 months old, drowned in the family pool. God, this is way too... Like, there are parallels between him and Ray Charles. Yes. It's weird. Cook had been away from home and his wife had gone inside the house for just a moment when the baby slipped into the pool and died. This occurred in 1963. I've heard that it was this particular incident that really did a lot of damage in the marriage. But even before this, Cook had been stepping outside of the marriage and sleeping with other women for a long time. In fact, it's alleged that he's the father of three other children outside of those that he had with Campbell. Yeah. In January of 1960, Cook signed with RCA Victor with a contract of $100,000, the equivalent today of just shy of $1 million. One of the very first singles he put out with RCA Victor, a song called Chain Gang, would reach number two on the Billboard pop charts. Despite this success and notoriety, this was still America in the 1960s. Racism was rampant. Segregation was rampant. Violence against black men and women was rampant. Mm. Again, even with Cook's success and notoriety, there were still occasions where if he was touring in the South for his musical performances, he would be turned away from bars and restaurants and hotels. Some of which he probably performed at. Yes. Yeah, but you can't stay here. That's why it... It's so horrible and to me transcends the like breaks your heart. It breaks your brain of like, what? Are you stupid? It it just doesn't make sense. It's, it doesn't, the math doesn't add up. The math doesn't math. 
The math doesn't math. It doesn't. The math doesn't math. Does, oh my God. That's really hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> There's this one story that Cook tells that anytime I think of Sam Cook, this is probably the second thing that I think about when it comes to him, second to his music and the songs that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this story of a performance that he was supposed to do in Georgia and he was unable to show up to his own concert because there were no white taxi drivers that would agree to drive him from the airport to the venue. And in a catch-22, when he tried to hail a black taxi driver, he learned that black taxi drivers weren't allowed to bring their cars to the airport. Obviously not, because they're competitors. They were competition. They didn't want them to get that money. Oh, my God. It's just the wildest story I can even imagine. He was unable to attend his own concert, a concert that was to have black and white attendees because of Jim Crow laws. There's other stories too that I don't touch on in this episode, but of him, like his tour bus getting pulled over by the cops just because they wanted to check out why does this black man have a tour bus? Why? Because he's he's successful. Yeah. And they checked. Checked what? Yeah. Sorry. I told you I was going to get heated. Oh, and I've just started. (laughs) You're just starting. (laughs) Just starting the episode. Cook took a stand at venues when he refused to play at places where black people were forced to pay more and or sit in the back or the balcony. I can't imagine how uncomfortable that would feel as a black artist to be singing to a white audience on the floor and then a black audience upstairs. Well, and let's not even get started on the fact that those black people that are being forced to pay more make a million times less mm-hmm. than the people in front, in the front mm-hmm. row. That does, doesn't... The math doesn't matter. The math doesn't math. Yeah, he either would refuse to play at these venues. Good. Or there's this one really great story of it's one where the black audience had to sit on one side and the white audience had to sit on the other. And he sang the whole concert to the black audience. And when the venue kind of pressed him about it, he's like, I performed like I did my job. You didn't tell me where I have to look when I'm singing. Like, are you going to dictate which direction my eyes look when I'm singing? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. He became involved in the civil rights movement, working closely with Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, the latter of whom he actually put a record out with titled The Gang's All Here. I didn't know Muhammad Ali. He has an album. He has an album. (laughs) Yeah, he has an album and um, Cook helped him put it together. Wow. He began putting out songs that doubled as political messages. Two of these songs were Blowing in the Wind and what would later become an anthem of the civil rights movement, A Change is Gonna Come. To read some of the lyrics from A Change is Gonna Come, it goes, quote, I go to the movie and I go downtown and somebody keep telling me, don't hang around. It's been a long time, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come, unquote. I specifically bring up these particular lyrics because originally RCA removed these lyrics from the song out of fear for how their white audience would react to being blatantly called out for racism and segregation laws. Hey everyone, we are so excited to share with you about Macy's Wine Shop. Yes, it is that Macy's. Macy's has launched their very own wine shop, which includes full-size, delicious wines curated by their experts coming from renowned wine regions, which include our home state of California and beyond. You can select exactly what type of wine you are looking for. Do you love reds? Do you love whites? Maybe a little bit of both? You can make these personalized selections quickly and easily through the Macy's Wine Shop. 
What makes Macy's Wine Shop better than any other online wine club is that they deliver quality wines at unmatched price points all within one to three business days. Seriously, I ordered my wine on a Monday and had already received them by that following Wednesday. And with our link, you get $50 off a six bottle box of Macy's award-winning wines, which is a $95 retail value. Head to the show notes of this episode to access the discount code, or you can head to our Instagram to find the link in our bio. Cheers. These more political messages in Cook's lyrics began to make many white people uncomfortable. They were very uncomfortable with this well-liked mainstream black artist whom all they wanted from was entertainment, incorporating political and racial issues in his music. Too bad. (laughs) (laughs) And Cook was becoming pretty powerful and influential in the music industry. He would establish his own record label, which we will talk about later because there is a lot that goes into that. And he was also becoming really influential and kind of, you know, powerful in helping other big musical artists propel their careers. Mm. But then tragedy would strike. So I'm going to tell you, we already alluded to this in the introduction that he dies young and dies early and it's really mysterious. I'm going to give you the rundown of the initial story that was reported about what happened. And then mm. I cannot wait to hear from you and all the questions I know you will have. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> here we go. On December 11th, 1964, when Cook was only 33 years old, he was shot and killed at the Hacienda Motel in Los Angeles. Police arrived at the location after they had received a number of different calls about both a shooting and a kidnapping. When they arrived, they found Cook deceased with numerous gunshot wounds, one in particular that had struck him through the heart. As the story was originally told, Cook was staying at this hotel with a woman named Alyssa Boyer, whom he had met earlier in the evening at Martoni's restaurant. According to Boyer, Cook had kidnapped her, taken her back to his hotel, and attempted to rape her. When Cook went to the bathroom, she grabbed a handful of clothing and ran to the hotel manager's office and banged on the door. When the manager didn't immediately respond to the knocks, Boyer ran outside where she went to a nearby phone booth to telephone the police. Continuing with how the story was originally told, Cook then went looking for Boyer, possibly to retrieve some of the clothing that she had scooped up. Some of it was his. He stopped at the hotel manager's office and banged on the door himself, demanding, quote, Where's the girl? Unquote. The hotel manager, a woman named Bertha Franklin, said Cook burst through the door, and so she began shooting at him in what she said was self-defense. Cook's immediate response was one of confusion. He said, quote, lady, you shot me, unquote. She shot at him a total of 30 times for hitting him on the head with a broomstick, causing him to fall to the ground. Okay, so that's the story. 30 times is a lot a lot and at Uh, close range i mean like that's a lot i just feel like i have so many questions of boyer's involvement and her story and how factual it is and then also this hotel manager like that she was prepared with a gun and shot at someone at close range 30 times and then picked up a broomstick and hit him with that too like it just feels like a lot of holes yeah there's something missing where there's something missing for sure yeah 
So to backtrack a bit, earlier that day, Hook and a friend of his and the friend's wife, they had all been out to dinner at the Martoni's restaurant. It was there that Cook had spotted Boyer at the bar and left his friends to have drinks with her. It would later be revealed that Boyer was a sex worker, and from eyewitnesses to the incident, she appeared to leave willingly with Cook as they headed to the hotel. The friends he had been to dinner with stated that Cook had a couple thousand dollars in his pocket and that he kept like taking it out and was kind of flashing it around at the restaurant. Ooh. So, yeah, I can see it on your face. It, is it possible that Boyer noticed the money back at the restaurant and had followed him to the hotel with the intent to rob him? Uh, it, it's not out uh, of the question. Definitely. And, and is this why, you know, furthering this theory, is this why she had taken some of his clothing from the room, maybe hoping that those thousands of dollars were still in his pockets? When Boyer was searched by the police later, they found only $20 on her, though. Franklin's story is a little funky, too. Franklin was the hotel manager that shot Bertha. Him. Bertha Franklin. Yeah. She initially stated that all she had done was shot at Cook. And then later on, the story developed to her admitting that she had hit him with the broomstick. And then later, she stated that she had beat him up and maybe even bit him. Like she, yeah, she testified. You can hear her testimony because this does go to court. And in her testimony, she's like, yeah, if you search him, you might find bite marks. And the person questioning her is like, what? And she's like, yeah, I maybe bit him. I'm not sure. If you find bite marks, then yes, that was me. I bit him. The heck? Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm laughing a little only because it's so unreasonable and so insane. But this is all about to take a pretty dark turn because in Etta James's memoir, she wrote about viewing Cook's body after his death. And she said that his head was, quote, practically disconnected from his shoulders. That's how badly he'd been beaten. His hands were broken and crushed. They tried to cover it up with makeup, but I could see massive bruises on his head. No woman with a broomstick could have inflicted that kind of beating against a strong, full-grown man unquote okay so basically now i'm getting it mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like what am i missing here did he like what happened okay the assumption here being it wasn't bertha that shot him and beat him and k- killed him that assumption or i mean i'm not sure exactly what Edda james was saying but i know that others have theorized that maybe bertha was involved like that this was a plot that, mm-hmm. you know, there were a number of people that were involved in bringing him down. But regardless of those theories, it was determined by authorities that this was a, quote, justifiable homicide and the case was closed. Mm-hmm. Not only did the story not sound right to the general public, many of Cook's family and friends called it into question. It just didn't sound right. And the whole story didn't sound like something that Cook would have done or been involved in. Many conspiracy theories arose following his death. One was that perhaps the cops, and larger yet, the FBI, had been involved in his death. We know that the FBI had files on Malcolm X and others in the civil rights movement that Cook had been really deeply connected with and involved with. Was it possible that Cook was becoming too powerful, too influential, too mainstream, and it threatened white society? Muhammad Ali was quoted as saying, quote, If Cook had been Frank Sinatra, the Beatles, or Ricky Nelson, the FBI would be investigating, unquote. Elvis Presley supported this theory, too. He, too, believed that Cook was becoming too powerful, 
to be allowed to continue on his current trajectory. I mean, I'm not I'm not to negate anything, but mm-hmm. <laughs> is Elvis Presley at this time really the best? <laughs> I see a reliable witness. <laughs> Wasn't he like coked out pretty much? Yeah, he, <laughs> but I do think Muhammad Ali's quote is 100% right. Like if yes, Frank Sinatra yeah. had died under mysterious circumstances... It would be investigated. It would be investigated and it wouldn't have been determined as a justifiable homicide. Sam Cooke was huge at this time. We talked about how one of his songs was number one hit for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm -hmm. Still to this day, another one of his songs is considered it's within the top 115 greatest songs of all time. He was huge at this time. And to, to neglect a proper investigation is unacceptable in this case for anyone regardless of anyone yeah regardless of how many hits he has and all that Mm -hmm. like that if if there's some question as to what happened and it should be investigated you're right yeah another theory involved cook's manager alan klein it's a bit of a long story but not long before cook's death cook and klein had created a record label together named tracy limited it was named after one of cook's daughters this is the uh label that i mentioned earlier that he established on his own cook was under the impression that he owned tracy limited and by essence owned the rights to his own music it would appear though that this was not the case and that klein was indeed the ultimate owner of both the company and cook's music this is an example of why people in the music and entertainment industry also have to be good business people because yes they just get taken advantage of Yes. And you need to have lawyers looking over everything. And, you know, I don't have this right in front of me in my notes, but I know in my research, I had seen that uh, Cook had kind of been swindled previously when he was with RCA Victor. Mm -hmm. And Alan Klein was someone that was recommended to him as an accountant to help him look at the books and see how Cook could get more money for his music. And so I think part of this is Cook trusted Klein like he yeah. had helped him in the past by helping him acquire more money. Unfortunately, Klein is still pocketing even more money than the artist himself. Wow. As friends tell it, Cook had recently discovered all of this and had confronted Klein about it. This was only days before his death. Is it possible that Klein or others in the music industry, which I feel like you kind of alluded to this when you mentioned Elvis. Maybe you maybe you didn't, and this is just the seed that planted in my mind. Mm-hmm. But the music industry at this time is kind of wrought with some shady characters. Oh, totally. There was a lot of mafia members in the music industry at this time. Yeah. Have you ever... Uh, there was a... I think it was an HBO show, and I'm pretty sure it was only one season of it called mm-hmm. Vinyl. Mm-mm. And I feel like it was it was maybe a little after this. I feel like it was early 70s. It was set in the early 70s. And it's all about the music industry at this that time and how Ooh. it's just so corrupt. Like, just yeah. so corrupt. So corrupt. So I think that there is credence to be led to either Klein or others in the music industry felt threatened by Cook and had possibly orchestrated his murder. There are even rumors that Cook's wife had something to do with his death. We know that it was an unhappy marriage and that both Cook and his wife had had affairs outside of the marriage. In fact, not even three months after Cook's death, his widow would marry one of his friends who was 10 years her junior. So at this time, she was 29, making this man that she married 19 years old. Oh, 
Not long after this marriage, she discovered that her new husband had started sleeping with her 17-year-old daughter. Oh, God. When she discovered the two in bed together, she shot at him, narrowly grazing his head. They would later divorce, and she would marry his brother. What is (laughs) happening? Is this a soap opera? I know. It's like, please branch out. There are other people. Yeah. There are other people than friends of friends. Extend your circle. Extend Extend the circle, please. (laughs) There really isn't any evidence to suggest that she was behind Sam Cooke's death. I only mention it because it is one of the many conspiracy theories. And I think, based on this little bit that we know about her, she appeared to be the type to maybe make some rash, not always sound decisions. Mm. More than 50 years after Sam Cooke's death, we still don't know what truly happened to him. What we do know is the huge impact that he had on not only the music industry, on black entertainers, but also on civil rights and the way that society viewed itself. He forced society to pick up a mirror and look at themselves. Cook's death came at a tumultuous time, just months before Malcolm X's assassination, which we, of course, know would be followed not long afterward by the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Cook truly did change the world. Mm. In 1986, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 1999, he received a Grammy Award for Lifetime Achievement. And in 1994, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. All sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website at hashtaghistory-pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use, share about us with your family and friends, and then give us a rate and review. And be sure to check us out on Instagram. We are at hashtag history underscore podcast. And come join us over on Patreon, where for as little as $1 a month, you can help support our books and booze supply. You also get access to some behind-the-scenes content, an automatic 15% off all merchandise, and we mail you cards and stickers. We do. We do. Well, you do. That's it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Thanks. everyone. Bye. Bye. I like it. Mine tastes so different from yours. Really? Though. Yeah. It's the shot. I I know it's. I'm, I'm yeah. getting all the Fernet Branca on top. And I don't even know what that tastes like. I had never it's tried it before. Like bitters, but licoricey. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like it. Eight. Eight all the way around. Eight all the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good. Okay. <laughs> I think you're like eight <laughs> all the way around. <laughs> this is how like brain dead I am. I, I want that. to say Metropolis. I know. You sound like Richard. Really? Documentary. Does he say that? Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I mean, I know what's going on with my brain. It's, right. It's split yeah, into you multiple have places. a great excuse. <laughs> In fact. I have, yeah. I have three brains going on right, right. now and they're split. Right. What feels like equally. Yeah. He's Metropolis. Black Metropolis. Thank you. <laughs> I was just proud of myself for saying Metropolis. <laughs> Metropolis. Historically known as the city. I just love how you put, no, you didn't say anything wrong. I just love how you put period. (laughs) Because I felt like if I did that kind of success, if I did like period space, period, I would like 
pause right. where I didn't want to no, pause. I, lo- I love just seeing <laughs> I having it a small it. little peek into your brain right here. <laughs> I wrote it how I knew I would say it. His music in his music industry, he owns the whole thing. The whole yeah. thing. It's all his. <laughs>